Netcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. Bandwidth for Mostly Photo is provided by Cashfly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This is Mostly Photo with Lisa Bettany and Leo Laporte. Episode 3, recorded April 5th, 2011. Going Commando. Mostly Photo is brought to you by Ford and the 100% reinvented 2011 Ford Explorer. With its thoughtful design, room for seven passengers, impressive cargo space, best-in-class V6 highway fuel economy, and available sync with my Ford Touch, the 2011 Ford Explorer is perfect for your adventures with the family. For more information and to RSVP for our upcoming photo walks, visit MostlyPhotoAdventures.com. And by Squarespace.com, the fast and easy way to publish a high-quality website or blog. For a free 14-day trial, go to squarespace.com slash mostlyphoto. It's time once again for Mostly Photo. Say hello, ladies and gentlemen, to Mostly Lisa, the star of our show. Hey, everybody. Via Skype from her hotel. You're on vacation. Um. Well, I, did, I just went to Orlando um, for a little Harry Potter adventure at Universal Wait Studios. Wait That's where you went for vacation? <laughs> I'm a nerd. Here she I, is in in front of the sludge pit. <laughs> People kept telling me to watch out for alligators. alligators. No kidding. It looks like one's just going to come right out and bite your toes there. This is, is that what she wore to Harry Potter land? This is she went to the world of Harry Potter. Look at that. That's, there's Hogwarts. Yeah. Hogwarts. Yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. Um, That's I, so I could tell you use an iPhone four because it's got that famous iPhone four lens flare. I love it. Actually, someone asked me about how, how I get that. It's really just as simple as pointing your camera right into the sun. Yeah, every mobile phone, we talked about mobile phones last week if you didn't hear episode two, but uh, every mobile phone has a different way of handling sun, but the iPhone sun flare is, is unique. It's very cool. I mean, you get these sort of, um, you know, red spots and you can really play around with it and, and, and try to get different effects. Right. You can get sort of light streaks and you can get... Um, sort of light spots, um, but I, I actually use it quite a bit to get sort of um, more dramatic lighting effects. And if you, you know, place the focus on and try to get a silhouette of whatever got so, and then the sun coming behind. Right. It will, it will do, it do a ring around it. And this, it, 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 you know, you know, you might, it might, might as well make a virtue out of a necessity. Exactly. <laughs> Joining us also this week, he's back again for another round. It's Mr. Trey Ratcliffe of StuckInCustoms.com. <laughs> Hi, Trey. Hey, Leo. Hey, Lisa. How's it going? Great to see you and uh, your red room. Yeah, like Twin Peaks. I like it. Red room. <laughs> red room. So uh, we're going to do a little Q&A with uh, Lisa and Trey in just a little bit. I'm kind of excited about that, getting to talk to uh, people like you. How do we get these questions, Lisa? Do, do we have finally an email address? Um, we do. I think we're um, mostly photo at twit. Yay! Mostly photo yeah. at twit.tv if you have yes. a question. And I think or this is going to be... Or um, you Twitter me, um, at mostly Lisa on Twitter. And I do try to answer them. It might take me a few days, but I'll try to answer them. Because <laughs> so, you might answer them on Twitter as well. Yeah, I, I do try. But, you know, you can't really fit. All that much in 200. <laughs> what camera should I buy? Well, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Actually, that's we're going to talk about that in just a little bit. Your tips of the week. Yeah. Uh, buying a camera. And uh, and then we'll answer a bunch of questions from listeners 
to mostly Lisa at twit t I'm sorry, mostly photo at twit TV. Yeah. Or at mostly Lisa on Twitter. So we should say we've got it's a fair fair representation here because Lisa is a Canon user. Mm-hmm. And yeah, Trey wanted, is a Nikon guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I am a Nikon guy. So it's going to be fair here today. <laughs> it will be fair. And I, and if necessary, I'll throw in if we have to have a tiebreaker on one side or the other. <laughs> I call shenanigans already. <laughs> <laughs> I love Nikon. My first DSLR was a D70, and uh, and I actually I for years my my uh, my. When I was shooting film, my camera of choice was a Nikon FM, which is a wonderful manual camera that I used for years and love, 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 love. Although I just got an email from uh, Photo Jojo, they've got a new um, spy camera. Did you did you see that? Oh no, I love I, Photo Jojo. I, I always go on there looking for little treats. <laughs> yeah, we talked we talked about them uh, last time. As uh, that's yeah. where we got uh, where we get various. Fun little items, including the uh, mm. I got little the, like mini tripods. Right. They have lots of. They have actually some really cool lenses for the iPhone, um, like a wide angle and a macro, and yeah, it's a great place to find um, gifts for photographers. And they, I really recommend. They don't them. have it up yet, so I'm not going to show it. But they said in the next couple of days, they're going to do a spy cam that is made to look like a little teeny Leica about this big that you can just oh, wow. pop in your pocket. It's 179 bucks. Yeah, I don't see it on the site yet. So um, it sounds dangerous, actually. <laughs> to be honest, does, I don't know if I'd want someone spy camming me. <laughs> yeah, you're right. You're probably right. So let's get your camera. That's not a tip, by the way. Do not buy a little tiny camera that you could lose <laughs> in the back pocket. What is? Let's talk about some of these camera buying tips. Yeah. So, so the number one question that I get is what camera should I buy? Which is really a loaded question because number one, there are so many cameras out there from inexpensive point and shoots, camera phones, and you know, to thousand dollar DSLRs. So choosing the right camera is really a, a personal thing. So instead of giving you a list of, you know, here are sort of the cameras that I really like, I thought I'd give you the tools to help you go into the camera buying process with a really good idea of what type of camera you want and which camera will sort of work best for what you want to take. So when you're buying a camera, one of the first questions you want to ask yourself is sort of, you know, what, what level am I? Am I, uh, you know, a beginner, an intermediate, um, or, you know, a professional? And what kind of photos do you want to take? Do you want to take snaps to post on Facebook? Do you want to take photos that you want to eventually blow up into huge posters? Do you want um, to start a photography career to take wedding photos? And all these you know, asking yourself these questions will really help guide you to whether you want to invest in a professional type um, or prosumer type camera or whether you want to stick to something, you know, like a really great point and shoot, especially if you're just, um, you know, you just say you just want to take family photos on vacation, you know, maybe something smaller and portable like a, like a point and shoot is something that's better for you. Should you pay attention to budget? I guess you have to pay attention to budget. Well, yeah, I think that's that's my next 
you know, question that you need to ask yourself is what is your budget? And unfortunately, you know, it does have a huge bearing on, you know, the quality of the type of camera that you get. So obviously I sort of have like an under 500 budget, a sort of 500 to $1,000, $1,000 to sort of 2000 and then, you know, sky's the limit. And if your budget is, um, you know, under $500, you might as well get, you know, a really great point and shoot, something like the Canon S95. You have that of, one. That's a, such a sweet that. camera. I actually, I, when you were, you were holding it, I went, oh, oh. Yeah, 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 this guy. I actually, yeah, I just, I just got back from a vacation and I actually exclusively used this camera in my iPhone. It's thin, um, it's light, it's about, you said 400 bucks. Very fast mm -hmm. lens. It's an f2 lens. So if you remember our one of our beta episodes talking about depth of field, you you probably can do yeah. pretty well in low light in that uh, in that camera. So you know, really ask yourself, you know, what's my budget, and and keep in mind that if you are going for a DSLR, that not only do you have to buy the camera body, but you need lenses and on top of lenses you need extra batteries a bag a tripod so all of these things add on to your sort of you know your budget so if you have sort of a, you know and a lot of people come to me with sort of like a six hundred dollar to sort of eight hundred dollar budget for a dslr and you know in in that case you know you really have to think about um lenses versus the body because lenses really do make um a shot even more than the body i don't know if trey you have any um suggestions with um you know a, a, a lower end budget but someone that you know sort of says okay well i, I want to take great pictures i really want to get into using a dslr but you know my budget sort of like six to eight hundred dollars well um let me ask you a, a practical question now that you you know you you're a dslr shooter like me and you just got back from vacation using that little s95 i guess what what can you do with an entry-level dslr that you can't do with that camera Ah, that's a good question. Um, I mean, I, I think the main thing is, you know, when you have interchangeable lenses, all of a sudden you have the capability to do, you know, to, to put on a zoom lens and to get really far away shots. And I found that with a point and shoot, you really can't do that. When you start using um, the zoom, things get grainy and, and not that great. Um, I found that you know, low light shooting on this camera was fairly good, but obviously, mm -hmm. you know, you know, you can't compare to something, you know, something like, a, you know, a 5D Mark II with like a point and shoot. But obviously, the difference in price between these two is is huge. So, um, you know, if if you are just taking vacation snaps, maybe you're not going to be so concerned with, you know, noise and that kind of stuff. But you know, it. It, it's great for just sort of like taking with you and, you know, I yeah, don't that's know if a, you have... That's a really good point, what you say there, because, you know, cameras like the S95 are so darn good. And sometimes I have trouble recommending these entry-level DSLRs because, for example, uh, group shots, practical shots, the convenience of it, and you get really good low light. Plus, if you set it up right, you can get great depth of field because mm -hmm. those lenses are so mm -hmm. good. Pretty much the only thing you can't do with that is these extreme zoom shots. 
But I find really that extreme zoom shots are so rare. Yeah, uh, that's now true. I, even though I'm not totally objective because I'm a landscape photographer and I, I like wide open spaces, there are occasions when I want to take pictures of animals or things that are really far away, but that's so rare. It's hard for me to recommend even an entry level DSLR. Something like, the, something like the, that. The T2i not, or the, the T1i, which is about a th 800 bucks, something like that. Um, there is a difference, though, in sensor size. Does that, how, how important is, uh, is sensor size uh, comparing, say, an S95 to a T2i? I don't know the difference between the sensor size in, in that S95 and a T2i, but I bet it's not that different. What do you mm -hmm. think, Lisa? Yeah, I mean, um, you know, obviously we're talking about sensor size sort of last week and talking about noise in low light um, photography. And, you know, in testing this camera, I found it to be fairly good. Um, you know, and it it could go up to sort of ISO sixty four hundred, and you know, it'd be it'd be fairly noisy. But in comparing it to something like you know a Canon XTI, which was my you know my very first DSLR, that was sort of noisy at at eight ISO eight hundred. You know, I, I'd say that it's like these these new point and shoots are sort of becoming as good as you know, uh, an entry-level DSLR. But on the flip side of that, I think that if you are sort of going to invest in, um, you know, lenses and, and learning how to use a DSLR, that sort of starting, you know, with a point-and-shoot, you know, it's it's not going to take you really in that direction. I, I don't know. Like, do, do you find, like, I shoot differently when I'm on a point and shoot than when I'm on a DSLR. And I think that had I not started on an entry level DSLR, that maybe I wouldn't have learned some of the skills that I need. You're right. There's, once you get a DSLR, there's sort of a, an attitudinal change that happens because when you carry around something that feels more substantial and mm -hmm. when you've taken a bit of forethought even if your forethought is somewhat inchoate and, and uh, you don't have a lot of uh, reasoning behind it, when you put a certain lens on, if you're still learning it, when you go out, you go out with a bit of a sense of purpose. Like let's mm -hmm. say you put on one of those 50 millimeter 1.8 lenses, which is only $100. When you go out with that lens on, you go out to shoot a particular kind of subject and there's more purpose and volition behind it. And just that act kind of makes you feel a little bit more like a real photographer rather than, you know, um, you know, Aunt Peggy with her point and shoot. <laughs> I'm going to throw a, a little curve uh, in at you guys. And I'd love to get your take on this. So we have right now, we have the point and shoot with a, with a lens you can't change, but a lot of capabilities in the high-end point and shoots. S95, I'd add the LX5 from Panasonic uh, and the uh, Nikon P7000, all three, about $400 with really good image quality. The sensors are pretty small. They're one over one-seventh of an inch compared okay. to... Uh, the APS-C size sensor on, say, uh, T2i, which is about 42 by 22 millimeters. So it's considerably bigger. That does right. impact the quality of the image, I think. I like a full-frame sensor. I, that's one of the reasons you spend a lot of money for something like a, a Canon um, uh, 5D or a, uh, your Nikon uh, D3. What about, there's something in between these point-and-shoots mm -hmm. and the high-end or even the, the, the entry-level um, uh, DSLRs, uh, the Micro Four Thirds cameras. Right. Yeah. They're quite a, they're, yeah. There's a number of these. This was created by Olympus. The, I have an EP1. Uh, the EP2 is now out. Uh, Panasonic makes them. They're, the nice thing about this is a standard lens. 
So no matter who you get this from, you can use the lenses from the other. It is interchangeable lenses. It's mirrorless, so it's much smaller compact bodies. Uh, and it is also, I think that the, uh, the um, Micro Four Thirds sensor is somewhere, it's closer to the DSLR than yeah. the, than the right. and shoot. I, I kind of like these as maybe kind of an intermediate level. What do you guys think about that? Um, I, I like them too. I love the Micro Four Thirds. The only problem is they're... Uh, <laughs> they're almost as it's much a as an stone, SLR, actually. It's a, yeah, it's a, no, yeah. they are. They're expensive. Yeah. They're expensive. I think it, it is... I don't like to call it a stepping stone because in some ways it's sort of a dead-end stepping stone ah. because all the money that you'll spend on lenses and mm -hmm. in this one particular category is not transferable right. into your your uh, the eventual Valhalla of DSLR land. So you're yeah. saying pick if you're going to go to an expensive camera, make the choice for a DSLR. Of course, then you have to choose Nikon, Canon, maybe Sony or, or some of these others. Because you're going to buy more lenses and, and they're going to be compatible in future. Is that, is that what you're saying? Yeah, once you make that blue pill, red pill choice, then you're committed. Right. And you're going to have to stay with that uh, for a long time. And you can reuse those lenses. I find that people that really like these micro four-thirds cameras are DSLR shooters that want something small that they they're can take with and they have a lot of compact. flexibility. So usually yeah. it's not like stepping back. It's just sort of a, another gun in your trunk of awesomeness. I mean, I think, I mean, what was the price on that? I mean, they're generally sort of $1,200, $1,500. And for that, you could you could start off, you know, get yourself a DSLR body. It doesn't matter if it's sort of a, a real entry level, but, you know, invest, start investing in lenses. And I think a lot of people spend so much time worrying about what body they get that they don't really figure, they don't get, you know, sort of, the the great lenses that you need and we have right. been talking about getting um you know 50 uh, a 50 f18 that's sort of a hundred dollars which really is is isn't that much but you you all of a sudden you put that lens on and you're getting great depth of field shots you're getting these really amazing portraits um and i think that i mean if you have the money to to buy a micro thirds camera then you know you you probably have enough money to get a 5D Mark II. <laughs> well, no, but, it's cheaper than that. It, the, you know, the EP2 is around 800 bucks. You, you have the money to get a T2i, though. You do have the yeah, money to get a, yeah. a DSLR. Well, you're right, Lisa, too, about this idea of swapping out bodies but keeping the lenses. And this is a, a fundamental uh, shift of mind for people that have had a lot of consumer-esque cameras over the years because they're used to this process of replacing their camera every two years and that's a big decision because they give their old camera to their friends or to their wife or whatever and then this idea that the camera the body itself kind of matters but that's what changes over time and the lenses you keep those mm -hmm. forever i'm kind of intrigued though by the, the uh, new panasonic lumix gf2 because it's a point-and-shoot sized camera with a big ass lens in front of it <laughs> these are interchangeable but but it is you know seven or eight hundred bucks with the lens so you're in that price point I guess now well let me ask you this guys let's say I did choose to get a, an entry-level DSLR let's for a point of reference I don't know there's the what is the is the p90 for a Nikon or not p90 uh, uh, no I'd say that's the D D um, 900 uh, 9,000 3100 3100 which is about 800 bucks yeah. Uh, the T2i from Canon. No, no, no. The the 3100 is uh, 
uh, is only about $600. Wow, okay. Now, yeah. here's a question. I buy some lenses. I get excited about this camera. Can I then step up same lenses to the D3? What's the disadvantage of doing that? Or on the Canon side to the 5D? Can well, I make let, that step up? Uh, I'll let Lisa talk through the uh, uh, Canon side. I don't, I don't know that system very well. But the... Uh, the, on the, uh, I, I imagine it's the same as the Nikon side. So yeah, you can reuse your lenses um, going forward. Um, there's a tiny little sticky issue when it comes to DX versus FX lenses in that um, there's this idea of a, a cropped versus a full-framed Same uh, issue on issue. the Canon side, yeah, because the sensor's um, smaller. Yeah, but this is not really a, a big worry. The, the overall point is that, yes, you can reuse your lenses uh, with the larger DSLRs as you upgrade later. So the investment you make with an entry-level digital SLR in lenses isn't thrown away. And that's the point you're making compared to, say, something like a micro four-thirds. Correct. I think, I think the main point is that um, when you invest in lenses for a DSLR, if you choose to then pursue a career in photography or you really want to push your photography to the next level, you have that option. But with a micro thirds camera, you're never going to be shooting, you know, right. a high level fashion shoot with, right. you know, an EP1. Um, so I think definitely if you have, you know, a vision of where you want to go with your photography, or even if you want really, really high quality, uh, you know, professional level pictures, then, you know, to start off with uh, a low level entry level DSLR and start investing in lenses. And, and like Trey says, there, there are, you know, the lens that you generally get with an entry level camera, an 18 to 55 or something like that, is generally um, not something you can use with sort of a 5D Mark II because it is for a crop sensor. But lenses like the 51.8, or if you were to, you know, an 85, something like that um, is something that, that you can use. And, th and that's how I started. I actually started with the 51.4 was my very first lens. And I used that for almost two years before purchasing another lens. And when I went up to, you know, a 5D Mark II from an XTI, you know, that lens worked amazing on my new camera. And I'd already had that from the past. And even with flashes that I've invested with when I had a lower level camera, you know, I could use that um, with more professional level photography. All right. So I'm getting the idea that you should, you're probably making a choice between a point and shoot at the low end and a entry level DSLR at the higher end. And uh, if you think you're going to grow, you might want to go with a DS, bite the bullet, spend, it's about twice yeah. as much as a good point and shoot. I, I mean, I think that, you know, another consideration you have to make is, is how portable you want this camera to be. If you want something that's going to fit in your pocket and, and maybe you don't want to carry, maybe you're someone that really just doesn't want to carry a, a ginormous camera. And yes, they are, you know, really heavy. So maybe you do want a micro thirds for that purpose and maybe... You're, you're not really planning on, um, you know, you don't want to be, become a professional photographer. You just want to take, you know, great quality pictures, but you don't want, you want something that's portable. So I think portability is the main concern with the micro thirds. So you want the quality of a DSLR, but you want something portable, like a point and shoot. I didn't mean to take us down a rabbit hole there. Continue. <laughs> 
Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I've played with them, and I, I really honestly haven't been too impressed. But I, but I know some people um, really do sort of enjoy the fact that they are a lot smaller and that they do have the interchangeable lenses. And, but I haven't really been wowed by them. I haven't seen anything that's really like, oh, wow, this is, you know, this is something that you should consider over a DSLR. Any other tips before we uh, take a break? We have video of the uh, of the uh, photo walk you did a couple of weeks ago. We also have questions and answers. Trey Ratcliffe is here. Lisa Bettany. We're talking cameras on Mostly Photo, <laughs> Episode 3. Anything else I should know before I head to the store to buy my first high um, Well, I, th I think the, the fi my final question is, um, what do you want to take pictures of? And this can be anything from well, I just had a new baby and I really want to take baby photos and kid photos, or I'm really interested in landscapes, or, you know, I'm, I'm really interested in taking HDR photos and all those different, like ask yourself what your main subject matter is going to be. And that's really going to help you choose what lenses are best for that type of photography. And like I said, you know, once you've sort of got your, like which body you want. Um, and that's really a case of just how much money you want to spend. Um, so what, what subject matter you want to take that will help you choose your lenses. But also the giant question is, do you want to take video as well? Mm. And a lot of, you know, that's a, that's a, a huge question because if you want to take video as well, then you're definitely going to add to the price um, of your of your camera and also, um, you know, whether you want to, you know, stick to a point and shoot, cause this, you know, this point and shoot takes amazing video and it's $500. But if I were to choose, you know, something, I'd have to choose a higher level entry level DSLR to get video. See, now I, I'm of the opinion, I'd love to know what, what Trey thinks about this, but I'm of the opinion that you don't necessarily know what you want to do with this camera. So I would say if you can get video, do, because you might surprise yourself. You might end up mm -hmm. shooting more video than you think just because you have the capability. I don't know. Trey, what yeah, do you think? you should. Um, and most of these entry-level DSLRs do come with video now. Um, and pretty good video. As, yeah. You get this D3100, yeah. and it does have 1080p video. Yeah. So it's um, not that much more than a high-end uh, point-and-shoot. People don't buy camcorders anymore because they're getting it with their camera. No. Yeah, there is something to be that you have to get used to. Uh, the idea that you can take still and video with the same camera. Yeah. Even I'm still getting used to it. I've right. been doing it for about a year. <laughs> right. um, but uh, yeah, it's something I gotta get my head around and everyone has to get their head around. But you can do it all with this one device. I find as I'm shooting now, I do a kind of a hybrid thing. Sometimes I'll shoot stills. And then uh, sometimes there's a time when you really wanna capture the feeling, the emotion and the sound. And having that video capability is just uh, really nice to have that in, in your pocket in effect. Yeah. Hey, Lisa and Leo, you mind if I throw in a, a tip to uh, that's correlated with these? Please. So, you know, you're we're talking about getting a, a more serious camera, which means you're you're going to be serious about something in your life, right? You're you could be aloof about a lot of things, but as soon as you choose, you can't be serious about too many things in life. And <laughs> you're going through this. Oh, thing, try. Right? It doesn't mean you have to be a master photographer, but you're going to be serious about your photography. You're really going to give it the old college try. So. Is not just getting the camera, but you're going to have to think about what happens after you get that camera because you're going to be taking a lot of photos right. and you've got to get those things organized. 
and your existing system of organization probably will not translate into this new world. So you have to start, stop thinking about storing your folders, your, your pictures and folders by date and start thinking about using one of these programs like uh, Lightroom or Aperture and use things like tags and collections. It's a different way to think about your photos when it comes to organizing them because otherwise you're going to end up with this chaotic situation and even worse i know uh, lisa and leo have this problem i have this problem <laughs> I've, I've, I've turned this on on its head in a way is that you end up taking so many photos of a particular let's say you go on vacation you come back with a ton of photos and you feel this pressure to get them processed um, before you go on to your next shoot your next vacation it's sort of this heavy unfortunate weight that sits on your shoulders yes so, and if you start using Lightroom or Aperture, you can come up with a whole new system, a whole new approach to this so-called problem. So what I have is, I'll just give you my case, for example. I have this huge folder called, or this huge collection called Unprocessed. And inside mm -hmm. Unprocessed is about 40,000 photos that are unprocessed. And they go back a number of years. And so I process stuff totally out of order and I'm at peace with it. I think of these photos as like these little poems that are sitting there waiting for me to read. And so I, it's not like I am under the burden of my photos. It's more like my photos are waiting for me to come visit them and give them the love that they deserve. And it's no different than all these other media problems we have today where we basically, we have an infinite number of movies we can watch, an infinite number of songs, of, of books we can read. It's... <laughs> It's kind of actually a really good problem to have if you approach it in the right way and thinking that there's all this wonderful content that's waiting for my brain to visit it. And you can do that with your photos now with things like Lightroom and Aperture. I, let me put in a plug that you won't put in, but I should put in. This is one of the reasons that people end up just using their, their camera phone <laughs> because you, you, almost, you almost handle each photo individually. And both Lisa and Trey have great apps. The, the, one of the things about the iPhone that is really fantastic is it's a pretty decent camera in the iPhone 4. And there's such a great selection of apps. Lisa's, of course, got the incredible Camera Plus. That's camera with the plus sign. And Trey just really released an update to 100 cameras in one that is fantastic. You should have both. And what will happen is you'll end up taking and processing almost at the same time. I don't have the same backlog I do with my, my, my big camera when I take phones. Uh, I have to say I, that I do. You do? Oh, well, then, never mind. I take it all back. Really? I, oh. I, I pull up my all the time because I'm constantly, um, you know, I've been testing Apple's HDR with, with our new feature Clarity. So that I'm taking sort of three shots for every one shot and I fill them up. But I think the main point that Trey's making is, you know, when, you, when you're budgeting for your yes. camera, Yes. Make sure that yes. you, know, you have to consider all these things and, you know, you have to consider not only the extra battery and, and memory cards and, all, you know, tripods, but also the fact that if you really want to push your photography to the next level, you're going to have to learn how to manage your photos. You're going to have to learn how to process your photos. And, you know, Lightroom isn't cheap. Um, I know Aperture now it's is pretty cheap. Fairly yeah. yeah, it's eighty nine dollars, I think, in the the Mac store. Um, so that's something you might want to consider. And it, you know, even like stuff like iPhoto um, is a is a good step. But but make sure you keep in mind that there's probably going to be another 
you know, four or $500 in your budget that you're going to want to spend on all these additional things. But I do want to say, at least for those of you moving from film, you will save mu so much money in film processing mm -hmm. and printing that I think mm -hmm. it pays for itself. I think the cost of digital photography ultimately is less than the cost oh, of film sure. photography over, sure. over time. So do consider that you're going to be spending as much as $400 on Lightroom uh, and uh, and a computer if you don't already have one. <laughs> well, yeah, we're assuming the computer bits. Well, but, but that's part of the expense. An up-to-date computer okay. is pretty important with a good screen that you can really see what you're taking pictures of. You might need a new printer that can print these photos if you want prints. And uh, those are expenses, but I think that on balance you save money with digital photography mm -hmm. over film. Guys, I'm going to take a break. We're going to come back. We have lots more, including a Q&A. Lisa Bettany from MostlyLisa.com. Trey Ratcliffe from StuckInCustoms.com. And his giant margarita. Let's <laughs> <laughs> have your goblet here by the fireplace. Yes, I hope you're enjoying your lovely, your lovely break. Enjoy it for a moment while we talk about, of course, our sponsors, the great folks at Ford who make this show possible. Uh, and, of course, the 100% reinvented 2011 Ford Explorer. This really is an additional cost we perhaps didn't mention. If you're going to be a photographer, you got to get to the shoot. And the Ford Explorer 2011 is perfect for your adventures with family on and off the road. Plenty of room for equipment in the back. Three rows of seats with room for seven passengers. The cargo capacity is amazing. If you fold down the second and third rows of seats, you get 80.7 cubic feet of space. But you don't give up any of the fit and finish. It's a clean and modern exterior, both refined and rugged. There's a great shot of one out there with the kids. And inside, it's like, it's like a beautiful living room, a place for you and your family <laughs> to enjoy. Lots of attention to detail. Ford has really stepped up the ante in terms of just fit, finish, look, and feel. But under the hood, you got that great Ford engine, the standard 3.5-liter V6, 290 horsepower, 255 foot-pound of torque. I mentioned that because it's great for towing, too, with a capacity of up to 5,000 pounds when properly equipped. Boat, camper, or trailer, the 2011 Explorer can do it all with the best-in-class 25 highway miles per gallon. Just an awesome awesome vehicle don't forget it's got the my ford touch in there too you know i'm a big sync fan now F ford has put together the uh, mostly photo adventures website we invite you to take a look uh we're, we're going to start having comp not competitions i'm sorry i'm sorry assignments that you can participate in but we will have some nice prizes and we've already started our photo walks we're going to take a look at those in just a minute uh the photo walks um coming up the next one is april 11th in Las Vegas, Lisa and I will be uh, taking family and friends, and you too, I hope, to the Bellagio Fountains in Las Vegas at 7 p.m. April 11th. It's free. Just come and look for us. How many did you have at the last one, Lisa? About 50, 60 people? Oh, we had, yeah, 50, 60 yeah. people. It was great. There were so many people there and um, lots of different levels, and I'm really looking forward to shooting some, some night photography in Vegas. Ooh, of the fountains. So of go to mostlyphotoadventures.com, find out more. You do. We do want you to RSVP for the photo walk, so we just we know how many people are going to show up. <laughs> Tell us how many walkers are going to come. You can bring a group up to ten people. Well, I guess you could even bring more and just register twice. And there's a map there at mostlyphotoadventures.com. All brought to you by the brand new and reinvented 2011 Ford Explorer. You got to try one at a Ford dealer near you today. Can I can I show a little bit of the uh, video from the uh, I would love adventure? That, yeah. This is uh, some stuff we shot. 
Uh, I, I wasn't there. We, when I say we, I mean the royal we. Somebody, <laughs> somebody shot. I think Tony was out there, right? And Eileen and Lisa or uh, Lynn. Lynn was out there too. Uh, when you and uh, everybody went to the um, ferry building in San Francisco uh, just a couple of weeks ago. Oh, I have to press play. Hey everyone, I've just arrived to the ferry building on the Embarcadero here in San Francisco for my very first mostly photo photo walk. And I'm really excited to see all of the shutterbugs that turn up today. Welcome everyone to the very first mostly photo photo walk. I'm really happy to see so many people here and um, I really am happy that we have this opportunity to sort of learn together and that you get the chance to meet each other and hopefully form some good photo walk partnerships. Um, so just I have some some amazing twit lanyards with me for you. <laughs> so I'll pass these out to you so you can get twitified. We have you know the farmers market happening. I thought we'd um, start with taking just some shots of that. And usually when I'm taking shots of a scene, I sort of try to capture, you know, what's happening. I mean, I generally shoot uh, manual, um, but if you are sort of new, you might want to try, I might, I might get you to move out of your comfort zone and maybe try to shoot at aperture priority mode, so the AV mode. This is kind of a cool shot when I, when you're trying to create like a, kind of an interesting picture out of a building that a million people have taken a picture of, I try to look for um, things in the foreground. So this is kind of a cool shot of, you know, you have the, the branches of the trees and then to frame that in with the building. What I like to do with uh, architecture is try to get, is instead of shooting like right where I am, like to get low and crouch and sort of get um, you know, more an upwards perspective. And if you have a wider lens, you can get um, you know, a lot of like contouring in the building and you got the guitar guys. Um, you, know, you can get up and get shots of the vendors. If you have a longer lens, you can like kind of be a little bit more, like a little bit more stealth about taking people shots. You know, you can sort of stand back and, and get people's faces. It is legal to take pictures of people in public. <laughs> so I don't know if you watched my um, last episode, but we talked about um, diffusing flash. And if you have, I mean, um, he's got a great, like a diffuser on his um, flash that's going to help spread out the light. You can try to get as much light as you can by positioning the person um, into some sort of a light source or bringing a light source in. If you're indoors, the best place to shoot is in front of an open window. shooting like just the sign if you get like part of the sign and then part of the roof oh, yeah. is like kind of a more interesting shot because it's 
I mean, the sign by itself is kind of like, you know, where is it? So you kind of want to place all these things inside their environment. Could you decrease your shutter speed and get maybe, like, even get some motion in? Because I know with, like, dancing, like, motion right. shots are kind of cool. Right. Like, you could get, you know, a bit of motion in there. Right. Like, try to just get, like, focus on, on the face or whatever, and then maybe yeah. have a little bit of motion, even, like, make that part of the, the shot. Try some of that. Usually, I mean, a lot of it ends up with arm waving. And that's going to destroy most of the picture when you have a, a blur that you know that, that covers half of the face or something like that. But mm. you need a faster what what? Uh, this actually goes down to one point four. Right, but then but you're but losing. I, I, need, I need a higher ISO. Yeah, can you be on a tripod? I can't be on a tripod. Monopod? Uh, I might be able to get away with that. Gorillapod? Like on? Yeah. Like putting it on something? It's like, it's, it's like I'm just sitting in the front row of the chairs. Right. So, I'd grill a pot. It. Right, do you have a, t uh, a table? Nothing in front of me. Mm. Yeah. It's sort of awkward. Yeah, that is awkward. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> what an amazing turnout for our very first mostly photo walk. If you want to participate in our next photo walk, it will be in Las Vegas on April the 11th, starting at 7 p.m. in front of the Bellagio. You can't miss us. We'll be a big group of enthusiastic photographers, so I hope to see you there. <laughs> that's great. Thanks to Michael Baca. Thank you, who did Leo. Oh. Missed you at this first photo walk. Wish you were here. Oh, that's hope nice. Make it next time. Oh. Where's Leo? Exactly. Tell me <laughs> Where are you, Leo Laporte? <laughs> I mean... Uh, I'm, I'm here. We need you here now. Oh, man. You need to represent. <laughs> oh, man. Leo, you missed a great time. I know you're back in the studio making some money for Twit, but next time, come on out. We had a great time, and Lisa was wonderful. Yeah, you're here to see Leo. Where are you, Leo, huh? I bought all your books. Now, come on. I want an autograph. Come see us next time. I'll be here next time. I will, too. I'll be, I promise, I'll be at the next one. We'll be at the... Uh, Bellagio Fountains uh, on April 11th. Uh, you didn't. You warned me I was going to see that. Oh, they took me to task. Sounds like it was a lot of fun, though. Both of you have done photo walks. You know, it's. I got to make an admission. I've always wanted to, and I have never done a photo walk ever. Well, Las Vegas, we'll we'll do it. We'll it's do it right. Be my first. I mean, when I say done, I don't mean like hosted one. I've never even been on one. So well, they're we pretty know. new phenomenons. Most people haven't been on them. Yeah. Uh, Almost everyone I have, most of the people there have never been on a photo walk. And these are all photo enthusiasts. These are, these are just new ideas that have kind of sprung yes. out of the ground like dwarves. And they're great. <laughs> well, and I think a lot of this is because of digital photography. It's so accessible. Uh, and a lot of people realize that they have a shot at being a better photographer because they can do things like this. And, and, and digital photography lets you get instant feedback as you're taking the picture. Uh, so somebody like Lisa or Trey can can really help somebody immediately. If you were doing this with film, you'd just be taking pictures. You'd have no idea what you were getting. I think. Yeah, I and it's actually, the good thing about it too, and I'm sure Lisa has found this, is that I always tell people beforehand, it's hard for me to help everybody. Like it's probably hard for Lisa to help everybody. Right. But photographers that come out to these things are always some of the kindest, nicest people. And they're also oh. helpful. So yes. I always advise if anyone has a question, just find someone that has a slightly bigger camera. <laughs> is that how you know they're better than you 
I don't think that yeah, always works, Trey. That. I got a giant camera, and it's <laughs> I'm the wrong person <laughs> to ask. I, right. I really want to encourage people. Um, I, actually, my very first photo walk, I went with with my mom, who's just sort of who was a film photographer, and I've just got her into to digital. And it was such a great experience, just you know, being out with her and 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 shooting with her. And I actually met some amazing photographers that have taught me so much and I've just kept in touch with them. And cool. I think one of the big biggest hurdles with a beginner photographer is just not having anyone to really, you know, as a sounding board, like, how do I do this? Or what, what's the next step? And sometimes you don't know how to find, you know, those things on the internet. You know, you ask the question on Google and it's, you know, nobody's giving you the right answer and you just really need to talk to another photographer. So having, a, you know, somebody you can email or, you know, actually go out on physical photo walks with is a great, a great opportunity. We're going to take a break and we have an opportunity to get some uh, Q&A here with two really great photographers, Lisa Bettany and Trey Ratcliffe. Hang in there, guys. Get your thinking caps on. <laughs> The audience has spoken. We've got questions for you all in just a bit. But before we do that, I would like to talk a little bit about our friends at Squarespace.com, the secret behind exceptional websites. This is really great for photographers. And, of course, everybody puts their pictures up on, you know, Facebook or Flickr or, uh, you know, the mostly 365 site. There's lots of places to share photos. But even if you're doing that, you really need to have your own website. Trey's got his own. Lisa has, his, has her own. I have my own. If you, if you don't have a website, you don't have your own space on the net. And we know from experience that's very, very important. Fortunately, there's an easy way to make a website, uh, a very affordable too, Squarespace.com. Squarespace is both hosting and software to make a great site. The good news is you can try it free right now. Squarespace.com slash mostly photo will take you to this page. Click the green button. All you have to do, no credit card needed, just name your site, give it a password, an email address in case you forget the password, this little CAPTCHA here, and you're done. You're, you're done. You're designing a site. You've got two weeks to play with every bit of the Squarespace goodness, starting with those amazing templates. Look, if you're a photographer, you don't want your site to look ugly. Start with a great-looking site, not cookie-cutter design, no, because when you start with the, the designer templates and the styles, you can completely customize it to your heart's content, you don't need to know any advanced web stuff, no HTML needed. Of course, if you do know it, if you know CSS and JavaScript, well, the sky's the limit. You can use both on your, on your Squarespace site to make it look exactly as you want. And all you have to do is take a look at the example sites at squarespace.com slash photo to see the amazing ways people are using it. Click the photography tab to see what photographers are doing. I think there's so many, it's such a great place, especially if you're a photographer who's just sort of thinking about maybe, um, you know, starting to shoot weddings or starting to shoot portraits, you know, and starting a, a career, like getting your photos out there. Even so if you, important. Even if you blog, you know, just sort of like, hey, I'm out shooting my friends, here's some pictures. Most photographers put up a lot of their work. And if you're not sort of at that stage where you want to, you know, get a, an actual portfolio, but you just want to start sharing your pictures, yeah. getting sort of a blog where you're like, hey, I was just, I'm just out in New York shooting some pictures. Here's, you know, eight shots. And then, you know, when people go to your site, they're like, oh, I really like your shots. And maybe they, you know, contact you deal. and it, Here's yeah. a, here's a, this is a Squarespace site, the Shutter Sisters. Beautiful stuff. Beautiful Because a Squarespace has this gallery feature. They have the thumbnail feature. So it's really designed, among others, 
to uh, give photographers a great place to work. And by the way, if you use Flickr or other social media, here's the, here's the little Twitter box. They have plugins that make it very easy to have those pictures on your site as well. So uh, Squarespace never locks you in. You can import and export your site, your existing site, uh, at any time to all the all the standard APIs: movable type, WordPress type, Padder, Blogger. Great stats. An iPad, an iPhone app that's just to die for. I can go on and on, but why don't you try it for free right now? Squarespace.com slash mostly photo. Make sure you use that mostly photo URL so Lisa gets credit for sending you to Squarespace. Squarespace.com slash mostly photo. The secret behind exceptional websites. All right, you guys put your thinking caps on. Mm -hmm. this is, this is can gonna, I ask the first? Can I ask the first question? I think this is going to be my <laughs> yes, absolutely, my favorite feature on the show because I think mm -hmm. this is this is the part I love the most. I love, you know, asking questions of great photographers. So go ahead, ask the first one. So the first question comes from Brian Mills, and he asks if I'm going to spend money on one lens for photo shoots in outdoor locations, what would you recommend? I have a Nikon D200. So I'm going to throw this to Trey since he's the, the Nikon shooter. D200, okay. what should he get? So Brian, here's what you need to do. So you're, you say you have a photo shoot outdoors, which makes me think that you're taking pictures of people outdoors and not like a landscape shoot. But either way, here's a good lens for you. Um, it's the Nikon 24 to 70, 2.8. And that means you're going to be able to get um, a good range from fairly wide angle to pretty zoomed in. Because uh, if you're shooting people, you're probably not going to be that far away from them. And you're getting a very sharp, clear picture. This is one of the probably three or four most important lenses in any Nikon shooter's bag. Um, they're tough. They last forever. Um, they're incredibly sharp. And also, they do great in low light. Um, I'm not sure what time of day you're doing it outdoors, but even if you're going into the sunset or even the dusk, that 2.8 will allow you to keep really clear, natural light without having to use flashes. Um, this is not an inexpensive lens, though. This is a pretty pricey lens you're talking. No, well, this guy's got a D200, so he's, he's spending a little bit of money so far on his camera. And, We're talking uh, almost two thousand dollars for the lens. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's. Uh, do we have? It's, um, it's do you have means. a suggestion for something um, that's a bit more inexpensive for a similar type situation? If, if you got a, if you got a, uh, uh, a, a narrower aperture, uh, would that that'd be a lot cheaper, right? I mean, that's what you're paying for. Is yeah, that fixed well, aperture. His, he probably uh, got one of the kit lenses that came with that thing, and. Um, I don't think there's any sense in getting something between a kit lens right. and this thing. Get a great right? lens. Yeah, don't uh, get something in the middle uh, because his kit lens can probably already do this exact same range from 24 to 70. Right. And uh, he's mm -hmm. already got that thing. Now, it, it probably does a 4.5 right. uh, aperture at the widest setting. Um, but if but you you're want to this, you're going to use this lens a lot because that range, 24 to 70... That's almost that's almost all you need. Yeah, I actually just added this lens, um, the Canon lens, on onto my kit, and I've been using it quite a lot, um, both for outdoors and indoors. It's a great uh, lens for event photography as well. So it's it's kind of like when you're purchasing lenses, you really have to think about 
you know, covering your ranges, um, like whether it's a wide angle or sort of a mid range and then a zoom. And especially if you're shooting people, you don't want to be too far away. So this is a, a great lens where you can get up close and take those shots and also, you know, do fairly like zoomed in shots. All right. I'm going to take us in a different tack here on this one, but this is the question we've been getting an awful lot of. This one from Ian Winkler in Long Island, but it really represents, uh, I think, something a lot of people are asking. I would love it if you could talk about shutter lag. It drives me crazy. I've been using 35-millimeter film cameras for many years, and I've switched over to digital cameras, and I'm constantly annoyed by shutter lag. You don't have any shutter lag with a film camera. I realize it's less of a problem with the high-end DSLRs. I can't afford it. What do I do about shutter lag? The point and shoots are really bad. What he's talking about is the fact that when you press the, the, the time it takes between the time you press the button and the time the camera takes the picture. Is there an well, answer? Well, I, I don't know. I'm not sure what this guy's complaining about exactly because it's pretty dang fast. They've gotten um, better, haven't they? You know, I mean, if you, if you look at anybody where uh, in any professional um, spot, like let's say you're taking pictures of uh, Dallas Cowboys football game or or baseball or wildlife or things where you got to be as quick as possible. You don't hear any of these pros um, complaining about um, shutter lag. Well, because they're spending thousands of dollars on a DSLR. Well, yeah. <laughs> How about but, on a point uh, and shoot? I think they're getting better even on point and shoot. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't find that being such a problem. And I think maybe it's because I, I have just grown up on a digital camera. But I'll tell I think you. That I'll tell you. Having shot film for years and moving to digital. It's not so much, part in the early days it was shutter lag. You'd press the button and you'd wait half a second. But nowadays, I think there's very little shutter lag, but what he's talking about, what people mistakenly call shutter lag, is the, the focus, focus time. Yeah, yeah. Oh, right. And on most digital cameras, as far as I know, you want to press it down halfway, wait for the focus, then you can take the picture the rest of the time. That could take a little time. He's talking about lag in focusing. Well, that's that's true. There's always a tiny little lag in focusing. Film cameras you know don't do that. Focusing on, uh, just get your focus pre-focus, pre-focus, and then uh, then you're you're good to go. Or if you really want to go old school, turn off autofocus, and then you could be in the pure old days of manual focus with right. instant shot. Right, you'll be exactly yeah. like your DSLR was, uh, your <laughs> yeah. film SLR was, won't you? Right. Yeah. You I can even um, on on like on the on the five D, you can actually change. So instead of um, you're focusing with the actual shutter button, you're focusing with uh, the control button on the back. So you can like go into your um, like read the manual, and you can actually change that. So you're you're instead of like pressing it halfway down, you're controlling it with ah. with your thumb on the back here. So you're focusing and then shoot, focus, shoot. And most professionals actually do change it from this the shutter so that they don't. They don't have that. So if you do have like a higher end DSLR, that's something that you can do to to stop that from happening. So yeah, this drives my wife Jennifer crazy. She's she's a film photographer for years, and and she still can't. She in fact, we get a lot of out of focus pictures from her because she still can't get used to the fact that you have to focus and then <laughs> shoot, focus and then. It gives shoot. you a nice uh, like a little bit of a, a moment. Yeah, you know? think about your. Gives you. <laughs> well, she just presses it all the way down, and of course, it's out of focus because it didn't have a chance to uh, focus. Hey, here's one that came to your Twitter mostly, Lisa, and I'm very curious what both of you uh, think about with this. I think it's from Terrell C. Woods. He says, I just went out and bought my 50 millimeter 1.4 that you recommended. 
And the uh, camera store said, do you want a filter? Actually, most camera mm -hmm. stores say, you have to have a haze filter or a UV <laughs> filter. Do I need one, Lisa? Okay, well, I used to be in the school of always have a filter, always put a UV filter on it because I was so scared of getting a scratch because a scratch can just destroy a lens. Um, sun can damage a lens. So I used to always have a filter on my lens, but then I found that it got dirty and that I was seeing, you know, spots on my lens. And so I actually took them all off and I don't use any filters. I'll use a polarized, uh, polarizing filter if I am shooting in, you know, if, there, if I'm like shooting through glass or something like that, but I'm actually not, um, yeah, I mean, I think if you have a really, really expensive lens and you want to protect it and you're going into a sandy, you know, beach or something where there's going to be a lot of debris, it's maybe good to have them. But if you're generally careful with your camera, I, I don't know if you really need them. I don't know. I'd like to hear Trey's yeah, opinion. Yeah, where do you I've stand on this, Trey? Yeah. I don't use any filters at all. I go totally commando. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think uh, uh, you know, especially this guy with his 1.4, he doesn't have to worry it's about scratches good. at all. Because um, the fact, focal length you. of the lens is not going to even see the scratch. No, he could hold his pinky finger in front of the lens <laughs> at f1.4 and take a shot, but he won't even see his finger. Right. So if you can't see your finger, you're not going to see scratches. Um, so don't, uh, don't worry about it so much. Uh, uh, sometimes people recommend a, a UV filter to cut that bit out. Um, but I like getting all the natural light into the final photo, and I, I'm so into post-processing, I don't... Um, uh, it doesn't bother me one bit. What about neutral density filters? Do you ever use those for landscape? Aha. Uh -huh. Well, uh, those are great. She's talking about ND filters, which are really dark filters. They look um, they look almost black. You know, they're like Zephod Bubelbrox's glasses. <laughs> and what happens is uh, you you put those on during the day, and you have to leave the shutter open for a very long time. In fact, sometimes you set the shutter on bulb and you might leave it open for 45 seconds or two minutes. And you do this in situations where you might have ocean surf or a waterfall or a river. Mm, and then you get those long silken water, strands. Yeah. And that can be mm -hmm. a very elegant look, but that's about the only time to use those things. Sometimes if you have a difficult, of course you're HDR guys, so you don't probably worry about this, but if you have a difficult exposure, there are filters with half dark and half light that you can use for a landscape. There's circular polarized filters if you're getting a lot of glare. I've purchased those, but I agree with you. Putting a cheap UV or haze filter on a $500 lens is nuts. <laughs> what? Yeah. You know, now, one of the things I do is I always keep, and I've seen some studies that say you should do this, I always keep that, uh, what do they call that ring, that plastic ring, uh, the flare protector, whatever that is. I always have those on my lenses. The bayonet. You know, uh, what is it? You know what? There's a name for that thing, you know? And uh, the lens hood. Thank you. The lens, lens hood. Lens <laughs> hood. Yeah, it's obvious. But I always keep my lens hood on because that way if I do, and I am kind of clumsy, knock my lens against something, it hits yeah. the hood and not the glass. Uh, I think there's a good reason to use lens hood anyway. Do you guys use lens hoods just out of curiosity? Yes, absolutely. Um, yeah. I, yeah, I do and I don't. I mean, I, I kind of love lens flare. Um, Yo, we I, found that out, didn't we? <laughs> I just, I, I love it and, you know, right. some people hate it and some, you know, and it does 
it can destroy a picture. And actually I was out shooting um, some night HDR photos and I didn't have a lens hood on because you know, I forgot it or something. And I realized how much like the, the actual um, lamps on the side of the road, like they were actually causing a lot of right. noise and um Yes, yeah, not know, always flare. It actually can can have other defects in the picture that don't you don't even necessarily associate with what's going on. But that lens hood will really protect you from that. Mm -hmm. I, I think that if you have um, sort of a fisheye lens, or you know, I I have on this, I have the the sixteen to thirty five, and in this case, the lens is slightly protruding, so there is a, a more of a possibility of it getting damaged. Yes. Um, so. Maybe if I was heading, I, I mean, the situation I said before, if I was heading out to a beach or a place where I knew that there was going to be a lot of debris, then that might be uh, a place where, you know, you might want to consider it if you were going to say, you know, the Sahara or something like that, like right. a, a, a big trip and, you know, you wanted to protect your lens. But I don't think that there's, I, I really, I mean, they always push you to buy them at photography stores, and I know because they're like eighty dollars for like upsell. the cheapest one. It's just yeah, an upsell. It's, yeah, it's like yeah. <laughs> All right, Trey's wandered off. Obviously, he went to get something that he uses instead of a lens hood. I'm sure. I'm sure he's looking for something. Either that, or he fell over, and he's not getting up. But we are out of time. I do want to remind it. Well, when he comes back, we'll ask him what he's up to. I do want to remind everybody that we are having a great photo walk coming up April 11th in Vegas, and I hope you can come 7 p.m. April 11th. Go to Mostly Photo Adventures and RSVP. Click the Photo Walk uh, tab and RSVP. Cause and we make would... sure to bring your tripod if you have one because we will be doing night photography. Oh, that's so. right. It's going to be a little dark. <laughs> And that, yes, <laughs> tripod or monopod, uh, we were talking about those. Or Gorillapod. Gorillapod. Yeah. Arthropod. <laughs> bring your lobster. <laughs> Trey, Trey, what did you go off? What did you run off and do there? I had to plug in my. Uh, I'm on battery here, and I was. Oh, dying. okay. Oh, yeah. Well, you know what? Guess what? We're done. So thank. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you ran off to get something. Oh, and I, I you know, cool. Like uh, instead of a lens hood, I somebody did email me and say because I'd shown the Gary Fong uh, light dome that I uh, used to soften flash a couple of episodes ago, and they said, "Oh, we pros mock you." And we never use anything like oh, that. Oh, yeah, I saw that tweet. Well, <laughs> the heck with you. I like it. So, <laughs> so there. Any, whatever any, works, whatever for works for me. Exactly. <laughs> Lisa Bettany is at mostlylisa.com. She is just fantastic. Don't forget her Camera Plus application. It's a must. You can ask her questions all week long at Mostly Lisa on Twitter. Mostly Lisa on Twitter. And of course, if you have a question, you can also email it to mostlyphoto at twit.com. TV. We're all in love with Trey Ratcliffe. He's the king of HDR and so much more. Every day, a new fixture, a new, a new fixture, a new picture on his website, stuckincustoms.com. And each and every one of them is an inspiration. It'll make you want to take uh, more photos. It's just, it's just an incredible place. Don't forget the free HDR tutorial on site or download the video or get the book, which I love. The, what is it? The, the world is HDR. What's it's called the, a world in HDR. A world in HDR. It's on my it's on my mantelpiece tray. That's how much I like it. It's like a to me. It's like a coffee table book. It's so beautiful. <laughs> well, just don't let it fall into the kindling. <laughs> no, <laughs> it shall never be kindling. <laughs> Stuckincustoms.com. Anything you want to plug, Trey? Anything upcoming you'd like to let the world know about? Um, no, just kind of keep up with the website. We're we're probably going to launch a um, 
a webinar, like a, oh, cool. a three-week uh, webinar coming up here. That's uh, kind of secret. Um, <gasps> but not anymore, I guess. Um, <laughs> Stay tuned for details. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So and, that'll be fun. And uh, like, like Lisa, uh, her she has a great app. You all know about it. It's number one on uh, photography on uh, the iTunes App Store Camera Plus, and it's camera with the plus sign. Trey has the great 100 cameras in one, newly updated. Both of them, you sh both of them, absolutely should be uh, on your iPhone or your iPad if you take pictures. Actually, you have an iPad app now, Trey, which is so cool. So cool. Yeah, the iPad one is uh, is very different than the iPhone one, but um, yeah, we love it. We're very very happy with that thing. I'm I'm proud of it. I'm a programmer and engineer, and there's another guy at Lavacado Studios here in town, and we get together and and program this stuff. It's a it's a they're a blast to make. They really are. It's kind of neat that you get to do the both sides of your personality, the art uh, side as a photographer, but then you can also uh, you know celebrate your geek side and write some software. <laughs> That's really great. Yeah, I don't need any excuse to celebrate my geek side. <laughs> <laughs> Just sticks right out, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> thank you, Trey Ratcliffe. Thank you, Lisa Bettany. And thank you, most of all, for joining us. We'll see you next week on Mostly Photo. Bye-bye. Bye, guys. Bye.